Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. It is a podcasting law etched in stone from the very first podcast of all time. The law is that if there is breaking news, it happens the second you stop recording. And for some reason, the podcasting gods have smiled upon us because the breaking news in Missouland happened six hours before we were supposed to record. So, BK, we're in we're in rare territory. We're ready to rock about a big breaking story. How you doing, man? Yeah, it turns out Steve Wilkes is kind and gentle and appreciates <laughs> us small little podcasters on the outside. And he decided, hey, it's Wednesday. I know BK and Nate Edwards, they do their podcast on Wednesday nights to get out to the great people that are Mizzou football fans by Thursday morning. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and announce that I'm leaving for a secondary coach position in the NFL on Wednesday afternoon, just so that way they can be prepared to talk about it on Wednesday. So, Steve Wilkes, I salute you. I appreciate you. Thank you, kind sir. Tip of the cap, Steve. And good luck in your new place. But, like, yeah, we're just going to dive right into it because it's what we've been talking about all afternoon. Steve Wilkes is out as Missouri's defensive coordinator. One season. Weird season. Uh... Like I said earlier, uh, <laughs> I was talking to BK, maybe the worst defense we've ever seen paired with the most okayest defense we've ever seen uh, in the same season. So very, very odd uh, couple of games there for Coach Wilkes. He is going to join the Carolina Panthers where he had worked before. He's going to be their secondary coach, like BK said, uh, joining Matt Rule, a uh, former Baylor coach, the Baylor and Temple. Um, here's the thing about Steve. is. <laughs> 
Eli Drinkwitz, you remember, you know, last year we heard stories that Eli Drinkwitz was begging Steve Wilkes to come out of his hidey hole and, and get it back into coaching and join him at Mizzou as a defensive coordinator. And it took some, it took some pulling, took some convincing, but he eventually did it. And now after, you know, one season he's out, I, I don't know how much of that is, you know, this is what, oh, this is what the college game is now. Or, you know, he always wanted to get back into the NFL. But keep in mind, this dude has been in the coaching profession since 1995, at least. And in that entire time span, he has been at the college ranks, some form of the college ranks. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, 10 years counting Missouri. So 1995 to 2021, only 10 of those stops were. Or 10 of those years were at college. So like, this is an NFL dude. This is an NFL dude through and through. And I don't know how much of the, let's, let's call it the current uh, hiring culture around the NFL made this uh, an opportunity to jump at it. Or if he was always looking to get back and, and, you know, he was always in talks with it, but he is no longer Missouri's DC. Uh, Missouri will be looking elsewhere. And now he's back in the NFL, which maybe that's where he always was supposed to be. Uh, BK, when this broke, what was your first knee-jerk reaction i i didn't really have a visceral reaction and that's kind of what's weird about this right like normally when you have a coordinator you have a strong feeling one way or the other on said coordinator like it's very rare when you're a fan of a team and you're like yeah don't really have a strong opinion about my favorite team's coordinator you typically (laughs) are like love him or hate him rarely is it somewhere in between but for whatever reason, maybe it's just because of the way that this season went, I guess. I don't really have a strong position on Steve Wilkes as a coordinator. It was fine. I thought that he did basically the best that he could with the talent that he was given down the stretch after being an awful, awful defense, as you said, early on in the season. I also don't want to overstate just how good they were down the stretch because it's not as if they were outstanding. They were better. They also gave up 265 yards through the air against Arkansas on 20 passing attempts. So like, it's not as if they were amazing, but they improved and the bar was so damn low for them earlier in the season that that (laughs) slight improvement was like, Oh wow. They're a real SEC defense now. (laughs) And so that was enough (laughs) for us to all believe that they had improved significantly. So I don't know, man. Moral of the story is I didn't really have a significant belief one way or the other on whether or not Steve Wilkes was like the answer, capital T, capital A for Missouri's defense. And Mm -hmm. I still don't. And so today, as I saw the news that he was going to be moving on and going back to the NFL, it was kind of a, hey, good for Steve. I'm really interested to see what Missouri does next. And that was pretty much the extent of my reaction to it. Were you in line with that, or did you have a more visceral reaction when you saw that he was going to go elsewhere? No. I mean, I, I tweeted out that you know, uh, Kirby Enthusiasm gif. You're just like, eh, eh, I, yes, but no. And, and you just, it, it is because exactly because of the way the season went. Because halfway through the season, I put together a list of defense quarters for no reason whatsoever, just to do it. Uh, looking at other people out there and how much success they were having as compared to our poor little tiger defense who couldn't, you know, stop a cold. Uh, and, and then magically the bye week hits 
all of a sudden everybody on the defense understands exactly what Steve Wilkes wants to do and, and they transform into a, a mediocre SEC defense. And because you had those two different things, that's why you have this reaction. Cause it's like, which, which one was it? What was that defense going to be this year? You're returning a ton of production, a lot of experience, plus some exciting transfers. Is it, was it going to be the first half defense or the second half defense? And I think a lot of us were talking ourselves into thinking it would be the one that we saw to close the season, but we also saw that it wasn't that. So you're kind of like, we don't know what it was going to be. And we only had, you know, 13 games to gauge this guy. So you just, you just don't know. You don't know if they had just sucked ass like the entire season. Fine. Go, 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 go. We're fine. If they had been okay all season, you're like, well, they, you know, whatever. So because you don't know, it's tough to make a reasonable reaction to this. And so I think I'm just going to be neutral. This is going to be a stopgap year. Hopefully the one in between where Drinkwitz found his forever defensive coordinator, because uh, we're not going to be on the third DC in three years. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm just neutral about it. I, I'm more going to base my reaction based off of who the new guy is and how that guy does uh, with the pieces that come back. That's going to ultimately decide whether I feel good about Wilkes leaving or bad. And that's kind of where I'm at as well. It's like, this is, I, I will say this too. I think this probably is important to, to mention here. I think it became clear today that Steve Wilkes was going to go to the NFL at some point, whether it was this year yeah. or after next year. And yeah. if he wanted to get back into the NFL and that was his plan, I'm glad he did it now. Because Missouri can now finally have, hopefully, some some stability on that side of the ball. Because they have lacked it in a big way since Eli Drinkwitz took over. You have the year one where you're like, okay, we're going to stick with this Ryan Walters thing. Everybody kind of understands that this is a, an arranged marriage and it's not going to last. So let's just get through this year. Everybody put on their best faces and then we'll move on. That's exactly how it went. And then yep. they decided to go with Steve Wilkes. And it was like, okay, um, it's an outside-the-box hire, but this is a guy that has head coaching experience, not in college football, in the NFL, and he's considered to be a really good defensive coordinator or certainly at least a position coach in the NFL. Yeah, maybe this could work, but the dude hasn't been in college football in like 20 years. I don't know if it's going to work. It might, and the ceiling's really high, but the floor's really low. And we saw exactly that play out last year. I think what you're going to see next is more of your typical college football defensive coordinator hire. Like my assumption, and I think we're on the same page here, is that Blake ba uh, Blake Baker, excuse me, I've got Blake Bell in my mind. <laughs> it's Blake Baker, <laughs> the yeah. safeties coach who was with the linebacker, the linebackers coach for LSU last year, previously the defensive coordinator at Miami and before that Louisiana Tech. Mm -hmm. I assume that he's going to be the guy. Eli Drinkwitz Same. said, what, a couple of weeks ago now? Hey, when we hired Blake Baker, we did so with the understanding he's kind of going to be the number two on that side of the ball. That's not a statement he's made about literally any other coach that he's hired at any point in time. And that felt pretty significant then, and it feels even more significant now that he did so. So I'm assuming he's going to be your next defensive coordinator. He has experience doing that at a Power 5 level. He depending on who you listen to, whether it's Miami fans or, you know, literally anybody else did a pretty good job as that and was did a really good job last year, according to those that covered him at LSU. So I'm kind of excited to see what that means. And I think that whether it was now or after next year, 
I think this was coming, and it was just a matter of when, not if. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Ryan Walters thing. I, I that was that was both parties. You know, Eli wanted his guys, and Ryan Walters saw the defensive roster and went, "Oh, I'm going to get fired if I stay here." Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is. That is fine. That was never going to last a second year. So some people are like, well, you know, he shot himself in the foot by getting rid of Walters. Nope. No, that was just always going to happen. It is weird that despite him knowing that he wanted Steve Wilkes of all all guys to come there, it makes you wonder where coach Wilkes was on his, uh, on his list of, was he the first? Was he the 31st? We don't know. Um, But it sounded like that's the guy that Eli Drinkwitz really, really wanted. Uh, so that's kind of weird. And now we're in a situation where he's going to have to make another hire. Um, you know, the Blake Baker hire, which I think happened the day after we recorded last time, um, was a good one. Obviously, and he's an experienced piece and, you know, he's got coordinating experience. Um, so I was good with it as as just like the positional coach. Defensive coordinator is going to be a little bit interesting, though. And then we're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this not like it's final. We don't know if. Baker's going to be the guy. It makes the most sense, though. It's way easier to hire a, you know, another safeties coach than it is to hire a defensive coordinator. Um, but Blake Baker, I, I first heard this name when he was at Louisiana Tech, and I really liked those those bulldog defenses because he blitzed a ton. Now, when you when you blitz a lot, what happens? Well, we saw that this past year with Blaze Aldrich. You either <laughs> blow it up or you get blown up. And, you know, Baker's last uh, tech defense, this is the one where he finally built it to what he wanted. They were terrible against the run, excellent against the pass. What's that sound like? Um, and they they blew they blew stuff up. Uh, blitz down success rate, they're top 10 in the country. Blitz down sack rate, they got sacks. 12% of the time on, on their blitz downs, which is 20, 25th in the country. Like they, they rushed you and they hit you. Now they weren't very good in the red zone and they weren't very good at stopping the run. Like I said, but this is also a G five defense. He knew what his limitations were and he said, screw it. We're going to just go out uh, guns a blazing that got him the Miami job though with Manny Diaz. And at Miami, it was a little bit different. They didn't blitz nearly as much. I think they're one of the worst blitzing teams as far as frequency goes. Yeah, 101st in the country. But they were excellent against the run. They were excellent against the pass, just by playing kind of like a shell defense. Um, They're very good at standing downs, uh, pretty good at passing downs. Still not the best in the red zone, but they got you off the field on third down. So, like, it's tough to figure out kind of what he wants to do when he doesn't have talent. He likes to roll the dice. When he does have talent, he has seemingly played it pretty safe. How much of that is the head coach he's working for? Unclear. But we've seen him do both. And, you know, kind of what we were talking about last show, the X's and O's need to be determined by your Jimmys and Joes. And it seems like right now, at least historically, Coach Baker has done really well tailoring the defense to the guys he has. So that gives me, that encourages me, especially with this returning production that he's going to go, okay, here's what we do well. And we're going to do the defense like that. And that's the mark of a good defensive coordinator, but also a good college defensive coordinator who can communicate that and get college kids to respond, which that's probably what we need in 2022. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is if you're looking for one thing that can change, I mean, the, the thing that was so frustrating about last year is it's not as if the personnel changed significantly from the beginning of the year to the end of the year for Mizzou. It was just the execution that changed. And I don't know if that's because for whatever reason, um, the 
players just started playing better or if they had a greater <laughs> understanding of what the scheme was trying to accomplish. I'm not sure exactly what it was that clicked for them. And again, I don't want to overstate just how much it did click for them. But by the end of the season, something was going better than it was at the beginning of the year. And if you're going to be able to have a guy like a Blake Baker, for example, who has been in these situations before, has for the last decade really been around college football, I do think that that can help you. I do think that is something that can work a little bit better than it did with Eli Drinkwitz. And as much as they've got a lot of guys coming back on that side of the ball, they've also got a decent number of transfers on that side of the football. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not as if you've got a ton of camaraderie where you're like, okay, cool. We can just go ahead and run this bad boy back and we've got the scheme up and running. You're going to have to teach that to mm -hmm. other guys again. So whether it was the, the guys that were returning, having a greater understanding or the guys that are coming in that you've got to be able to teach it to, there was going to be a learning curve regardless of if you had a new defensive coordinator or the old one. The other thing is, and I've seen a lot of people questioning, like, are they going to run a 3-4? Are they going to run a 4-3? Are they going to run a 4-2-5? That's like the least important questions to be asking. <laughs> Most of these teams yeah. will figure that out based on their personnel. Like, the truth mm -hmm. is, the difference between a 4-3 and a 3-4 uh, is how many of those guys on the edge are standing up. Like, you're not yeah, going to put a different sorry. player on the field you're probably going to have two pretty darn good linebackers in the middle and a couple of good edge rushers, regardless of if you're running a 3-4 or a 4-3. The truth is most teams are running some some iteration of a 4-2-5 because everybody is in nickel all of the time now. So you're going to have that extra defensive back, and some guys like that to be a safety. Other coaches like that to be a corner. Last year, Missouri was running a lot of nickel with Chris Abrams drain as the quote unquote nickel slot corner. I'll be very curious to see how they decided to go about that this year. That's like the biggest change that I think you might see this year. But I kind of think that because of the personnel they have and Chris Abrams drain had a pretty good season, they'll probably just keep it pretty similar. And then it comes down to blitz versus staying back. And do you play zone versus man? And that's kind of the biggest differences that you see in the SEC. So I'll be curious to see those differences for Blake Baker. But I just have a weird feeling he's probably going to play a decent amount of zone. He's going to blitz a lot. And we're going to see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. I, personnel and, and, and scheme. You know, in the NFL, if you want to run a 3-4, you need like a, a dreadnought class defensive tackle. That's you know, 6'3", 350 pounds to plug up the middle. In college, you don't really need that. You need your best players out there. And so you, you figure out who your best players are and how to get as many of them on the field as possible. And if that means if you have a lighter defensive tackle in the middle, so what? Okay. Army and Navy run a 3-4. They're some of the smallest guys in college football. It doesn't really matter. You're going to figure out how to get what you want to do the best done. And then if that's a 3-4 with you know a standing edge rusher or a 4-3 when they are got their hand in the dirt, okay, whatever. So I'm with you on that. Um I think the scheme talk is more just like it's exciting because it's like opening a present on Christmas Day. Oh, sure. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, but like it's not it's not nearly as important as we think it is. Um, so it, it'll be interesting and we'll get a little bit of that in the spring training. Um, I remember so going into 2020 around March or April because <clears throat> I checked the MU roster almost every day. Uh, at some point after, right before the spring game, they had switched uh, 
about six or seven guys listed as defensive linemen to edge. One of them was uh, Trey Williams. I think the other one was, uh, what was the other one? They, it was like a, they switched a bunch of them and they just called them edge. And so we all got really excited that they were going to like a, a three, four, and they ended up just doing exactly what they were always doing. They just had, uh, they just kind of switched up. One guy was good. had a different title and that was it. So, um, but we'll see. It's always fun to kind of prognosticate and you got nine months to figure it out. So, um, we'll see, but they got to make the hire first. And like I, like I said, I don't, it's way easier to hire a safeties coach than a defensive coordinator. Obviously, if Coach Drinkwitz, if you're listening to this, the list is on rockinnation.com. Mm-hmm. I tweeted it out last night. You can take a look at the guys that I would go with. Um, but, you know, here's what we do know. Steve Wilkes made $800,000 last year. He was slated to make a million this year, which I th- he would have been the second highest paid Missouri assistant of all time behind Derek Dooley, <laughs> uh, believe it or not. So Missouri's got the money is my point. And because... Coach Wilkes is leaving for an NFL job. The language in his contract says that Missouri doesn't owe him anything. So we've got a million dollars to play with. You know, you can throw that around. I think Derek Mason took a $400,000 pay cut to leave Auburn for Oklahoma State. So, like, he's only making a million dollars. That's kind of the caliber of what we're talking about here. I don't know if that's what they want to go with or if they want a super cheap DC with Baker, give him, you know, an extra. I don't know, 50,000 and call it a day. Um, but uh, there are names out there. There are options out there. Here's just a random question for you, BK. Is there is there a college defensive coordinator that you would like to see at Mizzou? Or are you just kind of like, I don't know anybody well enough and I'm just good with Blake? Yeah, kind right. of the latter. Um, I, I would go with Blake. And I think that's going to be the way that they decide to go. I will give you a name, though, as a cor- uh, secondary sure. coach that could be of interest. Now, I don't oh, think this is likely yeah. because he just landed somewhere else this offseason. So it, it seems rather unlikely. Although, hey, man, with the way the coaching changes are happening right now, who knows? It could. Could, it it could yeah, be possible yeah. if Missouri throws enough money his way. So a gentleman by the name of Julius Brown, he's the cornerbacks coach now for uh, Washington. He was hired there this offseason. But guess what staff he was on back in 2013? The staff that Eli Drinkwitz likes to reference. <laughs> <laughs> Arkansas he State, was indeed baby. at Arkansas State where he coached cornerbacks and nickels and had that beautiful, flashy title of recruiting coordinator he was also oh, yeah. the recruiting coordinator and defensive backs coach at boise state where eli Drinkwitz happened to be in 2014 and 2015 mm-hmm. and then over the last few years he's had experience at utah state texas tech and then fresno state all of which where he was significantly important in their recruiting including last year with fresno state where he was once again their recruiting coordinator and he's had a lot of time coaching in the secondary, whether that be the safeties, TVs, overall cornerbacks. He's done it all. If you're going to go get a guy who seemingly is a really good recruiter, and I mean really good recruiter, uh, this would be one of them. Uh, he, he would be of interest to me. And the biggest thing is he has that connection with Eli Drinkwitz, where they coached together for mm-hmm. almost a five-year stretch, three, four-year stretch. Uh, I, I would be interested in giving him a look. And that seems at least not totally outside the realm of possibility. Although he did get a job elsewhere. Sure. Yep. He also has a nickname juice, which Way I bigger. like. Oh God. Hell yeah. Coach juice. We had a coach break. We had a coach <laughs> juice. Um, Blake Baker, 2013 yep. Arkansas state. He was a safeties coach. So um, 
That's just the common thread with these guys for the most part, which is, yes, that's where you make your networking when you're a graduate assistant. That's one of the big things you got to be doing. So um, not, a, not a huge surprise. But, yeah, I mean, Steve Wilkes wasn't the lead recruiter on any any guy that we've gotten. I think he might have come in to you know chat with mom and dad or maybe talk about scheme and stuff like that. But he was not. DJ Smith is their lead recruiter the on the defensive side. Basically, it's it's DJ Smith and and Al Davis has been putting yeah. a lot of work too. Um, so it seems like, like Blake you know, Baker that's, that's might new. be really involved with some of these transfers. Like he's, he, yeah, I'm, I'm just judging yeah, based is. on social media, but he seems to be the guy that's been very heavily involved in the defensive uh, transfer situation. He's a connected dude, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for as few stops as he's had, he he clearly knows a lot of kids, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, you're going to be looking at him to kind of work those those connections as well what about you do do you have a name going going back to your question for me do you have a defensive coordinator that like set money aside for a moment money is no object you can go out there and offer the world to them who would you want to be missouri's defensive coordinator in 2022 within at least some realism oh geez i mean i would have taken Derek mason oh yeah um you know especially since he was looking to get out of auburn so the timing didn't work out very well um, but clearly we had the money for it. <laughs> now we know we have the money for it since he was willing to take a, you know, almost a half a million cut just to get out. Um, if I, I mean, I'm kind of going back to the list um, that I wrote in the middle of last season uh, and then, you know, retweeted, I would take like a, a William Inge from Fresno state. He is a pretty good recruiter as well. Also super cheap. Um, but he is very similar. Like it's a good passing defense, uh, and they're pretty good in the red zone. I would have gone with him. If you want to get super funky, take Kurt Maddox out of San Diego state. Cause he runs a three, three, five. Um, nope. but I know what I really <laughs> wanted is Kane Womack. Who's South Alabama's head coach. He's making 700,000 right now. And he not only made Indiana a good defensive team, but then made South Alabama a good defensive team last year. That would be my ultimate pick. I mean, you're, you're asking him to take a DC chair again, since he's been a head coach. So he probably doesn't want to do that. Um, but I would, I would go with either him or like Rod Wright out of UTSA. Uh, Cause they were excellent at stopping big plays and really havoc focused, but they also didn't miss tackles, which <laughs> that was a problem last year too. Um, so Weren't you a big David a Reeves guy? Yes, I do like him. I think he just signed like a very long contract, though. Like, That's okay. <laughs> I mean, does that stop anything? No, not anymore. Um, but like, I would take him too. I would take him too. Um, and for people that Mike? are listening, they're like, who is David Reeves and why are we bringing him up? He is the defensive coordinator at UAB who just creates havoc like no no other business. Yeah. Yeah. And again, UAB, Casey Woods, he was on that staff. Mm-hmm. They brought got brought in a lot of good kids, a lot of good defensive kids. When that program got shut down, I think three of them became all conference in a power five conference. Like they they know what they're doing out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, I don't think, you know. I just, I'm entertaining these ideas, but I'm with you. I don't think Drinkwitz is going to do that. I think he's going to just bump Baker up and then get a secondary coach. And I think that's fine. Um, But at the same time, he's made a ton of defensive hires in his two and a half years on the job. It kind of makes you wonder, does he know what he wants on defense? And can he hire the guy who guys who can do that? Um, You know, I saw on on Reddit and I, I don't know, 
I don't remember the user, but um, they were talking about Steve Wilkes uh, leaving and like who was going to take over. And someone's like, Eli Drinkwitz is going to become Missouri's defensive coordinator too. Um, but like, it is fair to question uh, if he knows what he wants on defense and he can find a guy to do it. Um, Cause he only had to make one hire at app state and all, most of the hires that he's made uh, so far haven't really worked out. Jethro Franklin, terrible. Steve Wilkes is gone. Uh, I mean, you don't, don't look at the Odom guys, but like, you know, Aaron, Aaron Fletcher, you know, he's gone lateral move. That's kind of the weirdest one. Um, and like other, other than DJ Smith, you really haven't seen a lot of continuity on that side. So, I mean, is that just coming up with a question to fill in the gap in the off season, or is this an actual issue that we should think about as far as Drinkwitz uh, hiring ability? It's a question and it's a fair one at this point in time. I do think that it is interesting that most of this is coming on the defensive side of the ball. And we've talked about this in the past. Like I, I think that makes me feel better about it, but I don't know if that's me telling myself a story, you know, where like, does it matter that it's on the opposite side of the ball from the one that he is actually in charge of? Maybe not. But in my own head, the story that I am telling myself is that if this was an offensive issue, if he was losing offensive line coaches and receiver coaches and quarterbacks coaches and all of these different things to other teams every offseason, Okay, he's probably too intimately involved with that side of the ball, and he is a micromanager. And that would be the story that I would tell myself on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, man, I think he kind of handed that thing off. I I think that was legitimately (laughs) Steve Wilkes' side of the ball. And he mentioned previously, like, hey, you know, this offseason, because I was able to hand off some of my quarterback coaching duties to um, another member of the staff, like, I was able to go into a defensive line meeting and that's not something I've been able to do the first couple of years. Like, I think that tells you just how laissez-faire he is with the handling of the defense. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. I think that's how a lot of coaches no. are, but mm-hmm. that tells you which side of the ball that he's really involved with. And that just makes me think like these other coaches, this is kind of how college football works now. And until he's able to get a strong staff of loyal coaches, I think that you're going to continue seeing it. I just think that's kind of the way that things are trending. Yeah. I, I, I'm 100% okay with him washing his hands of the defense and basically holding the coordinator responsible and saying that that's your team. This is my team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to chew you out if you screw it up, but like, I'm going to let you, I want to be, let you be the captain of your own ship. Just don't crash in the rocks. Um, I think that's totally fine. You know, college, college football, like you were talking about is not the same as it used to be. Um, you are much as a head coach, you are much less involved in the day-to-day planning management of the team and more kind of just the CEO. You're the face of the, of the corporation. You're out there shaking hands, kissing babies, <laughs> driving dump trucks to high schools. Um, you know, you, that, that is your role as a head coach and you got to let everyone else kind of do their own thing. Um, you know, when Shane Beamer was hired at South Carolina, a lot of people are like, what, what, what is Okay. What you're hiring, Oklahoma's tight ends coach has never, never coordinated anything, never really been anywhere close to the uh, head coaching position. What is Shane Beamer really good at? He's mobbed up. He's mobbed up in the SEC. He knows everybody. He is a well-connected dude. Yeah, maybe he can't, you know, do an X's and O's for the offensive or defensive side, but he hires guys that know how to do that. He hires recruiters who can bring in the good kids, and he just manages those people. He manages those 10 people. You know, look at Brian Harson at Auburn. That mess that's going on. You know, Gus Malzahn was pushed out by Auburn because he was, you know, a little aloof. 
boosters didn't like him. So what do they do? They brought in a hard nosed football guy. Yeah, I'm just I'm a, I'm a football coach. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do any of this other crap. I'm gonna fix this by being a football coach. Well, what did he do? Well, he pissed off Cadillac Williams. <laughs> which I feel like he shouldn't do. He refused to go to Bo Jackson's golfing tournament. I'm not an Auburn guy, but I know you got to do that. He basically didn't let any media talk to him. He just shut the whole thing down and said, he's, I'm going to out football all these problems. And now he's probably going to get fired. You've got to be a manager of people. You got to be a manager of your coaching staff. And I think really it, to me, it would be a really good move for Drinkwitz to hire an offensive coordinator. Not my call. That's what he wants to do. But I feel like the effective college head football coaches right now are the CEO type, much like Mac Brown made popular in the early 2000s. And the more you can do on the periphery, on the outside, with you know the forward-facing, the public-facing portion of your program, and leaving all that other football stuff to football dudes who don't have to worry about that, in my opinion, that's the best way to have a healthy program. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And that's why, like, man, this is a really big hire for Eli Drinkwitz. Like whether he goes with Blake Baker or if he decides to go with somebody else, and I I just firmly believe it's going to be Baker. I think he was brought in here with the understanding that whether it be now or next year, it was going to be his time to be Missouri's defensive coordinator. So let's operate under that assumption for a moment. He better be right. You know, th- yeah. this kind of feels like the Derek Dooley hire for Barry Odom. Now, it's different because I mm-hmm. think Eli Drinkwitz is under less pressure right now. I think he has done more to gain the trust of this fan base than Barry Odom had at that point in time. But when Dooley, when he made the hire of Derek Dooley, everybody kind of knew, OK, you're either sinking or swimming with Dooley as your OC. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he was wrong and it didn't work. And the result was he got fired because his offense wasn't good enough and he wasn't able to make up for the mistakes that he made on the recruiting trail for drink for Drinkwitz. I mean, first of all, you got to get the quarterback right. We know that. But on the defensive side of the ball, you've been lacking now for three years. Really, you need to get that right. And defensive coordinator hire, if you're able to knock it out of the park, if Blake Baker is good, if he was just in a bad situation at Miami and you find out, oh, damn, we've got ourselves a really good football coach here who is an excellent coordinator and is a great recruiter. And oh, by the way, is what, 38 years old and has a ton of energy, like, as you mentioned, super connected within this area of the country, like. Okay, if this hits, it could hit at a really high level, but you better be right. Yeah, he is the same age uh, as Eli Drinkwitz. They both graduated from college in 2004. A role that makes you feel you are correct. You are old. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's good to go young. Um, Steve Wilkes was one of the oldest guys on the staff last year. He and Jethro Franklin. Bye-bye. They're gone. Um, this is a really young staff, top to bottom now. It is super young, and that's good. Um, I guess real quick, Curtis Looper's old, but, um, but he also has some infectious a, energy, man. I love Looper. He does. And he is a, he's a recruiting king. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day, like who are the most indispensable assistants on this staff? And Casey Woods would have been up there, but he took a promotion at SMU, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So right now I think my, my power ranking one, two, three, as far as like, I don't want them to leave slash this team will be worse off if they leave. Number one with a bullet, Curtis Looper. Number two, Marcus Johnson. Yep. And number three, now that Bush Hamden is the quarterback's guy instead of Drinkwitz, I feel like that's really important. Uh, but I don't have any proof that that's the case. So I'm going to say, 
DJ Smith because he's a recruiting coordinator yeah. now and he's super young. What do you think? I would probably, I, I agree with your one, two. I think that's correct. Oh, what about Eric Link? Because that dude, <laughs> he is coordinating some special teams. He is saving our bacon. <laughs> yeah, he's done a really good job with it for what it's worth. But from what I understand, he's kind of like, they've been splitting that up more than the coordinator tab would lead you to believe. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, he's technically in charge of it. So he gets the credit and he deserves it. But I think that each of the coaches kind of takes on a little piece of the special teams. So that... sure. I wouldn't have him up there. I, I think the, the third option is either Baker or DJ Smith. I think the clear okay. top two, and I could understand if you had Marcus Johnson, honestly, at number one, but I think the clear top yeah. two are Marcus Johnson and Looper, and then third is a battle between Baker and Smith. Okay, yeah. I might go Baker, okay honestly. Just because if, if, yeah, if you haven't they believe, seen what he's done yet, <laughs> I, I know. But if they believe in him enough to where he's getting the DC job, like that, sure, that, that is pretty telling in my mind. No, I agree. I agree. I don't know what the time frame on this hire is going to be. I, I don't. I don't. If it comes fast, then it's going to be Baker. If it's well, spring if it's practice out, is starting up soon, right? I know it's a couple of weeks. So like. If we hear quickly, then it's probably going to be Baker. If this gets drawn out more than a couple of weeks, then they're looking on the outside. And that's going to be weird, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Do you have the date for the open of spring football? I know last year it was February like 26th. Uh, Do you know what it is this year? And I'm putting you on the spot here, but I was just curious if you I knew. I don't think it's – I don't know. See, everything from 2021, but we don't have anything for for 22. Okay, so my guess is it's probably sometime in, in, March. in the next two weeks yeah. or so. Because last year it was, like I said, like late February, February 26th. So if if that's what it is, like you're going to know soon, regardless of who it is. They're not going into spring ball without a DC. I would, yeah, be, that would very be very surprised. stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I bet you next time we're podcasting, they will have a defensive coordinator announced. Okay. Regardless of if it's internal or external. I, I like that take. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. Um, who knows? Maybe it comes tomorrow because, yeah, all the big stuff happens the day after we uh, record, except for this one. <laughs> so we'll see. But, yeah, so we got some got some staff churn. That'll be interesting. We also went through a whole ass signing day, uh, but I, I wanted to break it down. We'll do the babies later. But let's talk about the transfers first because we got some awesome transfers. I mentioned Auburn earlier in that mess. They were losing like 20 guys in the portal and replaced with eight. So like Auburn's always really good when you count them out, but ooh, it's not looking very good right now. But anyway, we've got some transfers in. One of them is Ian Matthews, a former defensive lineman at Auburn who did not play last year. So he's taking his red shirt year. He's got four years to play four, or I guess technically five years. Nope. Four years to play four. No, I'm right. Um, and then we added uh, Tyler Stevens to the tight end room and Really, I think maybe your favorite of the transfers so far, Tyron Hopper, baby, uh, cousin of Tyrone from Florida. So I'll let you kind of address these in whatever order you want, but I want you to talk about the, the transfer um, at the top of your mind right now and how they're going to make an impact uh, for next year's team. Can I go from least interesting to most interesting yeah, in my mind? Like so that way we can end with a bang. Okay, so 
Uh, this Tyler Stevens cat, he's fine. Like, just expect Messiah Swenson. <laughs> he's but, Nico Hay, basically the same numbers. Yeah, kind of. Like, he goes about it in a little different ways. He's more long and lanky and might be a little bit more of an over-the-top type of a player, but he didn't do a whole lot at uh, Buffalo. So I think he's just a guy. I, I, I would be surprised if he's getting more playing time this year than Ryan Horsecamp. Let's put it that way. Uh, and that's right. that is not me being a homer with Horsecamp, although maybe uh, but that is just my, my <laughs> legit evaluation of what I saw from him off of the five minutes of tape that I was able to find on Buffalo's tight end. Uh, he's he's perfectly fine and they needed to add a tight end. So it makes sense that they went out and got one. And this was the guy that was available and he played and he produced at a perfectly adequate level last year. And I expect that to be the case for Missouri as well. Do you have any thoughts on one Tyler Stevens? He better not take snaps away from my, my boy's horse wigs okay. because that's, that's what I really want. Uh, but you do, you did need an experienced guy. You can't have three freshman tight ends and expect to have it, you know, kind of any effective scheme using them. So I am fine with it. Like I said, if he was on last year's team, he and Nico Hay would have been tied for targets and yards. So that's, that's basically what you're getting. Like you said, it's a little bit different, but from a production standpoint, almost the exact same as Hay. So if you lose a Hay, you add a Hay, I'm good with it. I like the way you put that. Next one, Ian Matthews. Lottery ticket, mm-hmm. baby. You got a talented defensive <laughs> lineman who's going to play along yep. the interior. He's kind of got that Akil Byers type of a vibe to him. Like, could he play defensive end? Maybe. Is he probably more of an interior player? Definitely. And that's kind of the way that we're going about this bad boy. I don't expect him to see the field a whole lot this year. I think that Eli Drinkwitz made note of that where he's like, hey, a lot of these guys that you bring in, when you're going to the transfer portal, it's probably to get an immediate impact, unless you're Ian Matthews, mm-hmm. in which case we don't necessarily believe that you're going to see the field right away. But they do believe in the talent and it's a lottery ticket that they could go out there and acquire and they feel good about it. If you were somebody that Auburn and Arkansas and Florida State and South Carolina all viewed as being worthy of an addition last year. Yeah, why not? Go ahead and add it to the defensive yeah. line. Let's see what you can do. I think I, that's the biggest thing is that a lot of SEC teams wanted this guy and he wanted out at any cost if you have been paying any attention to the the uh (laughs) the acidic twitter exchanges between auburn players whether harson is a jerk or not uh matthews was liking all the ones that said he was a jerk so he wanted out big time uh if he's looking to flee and we had a spot like and a bunch of teams wanted him then i am good with him on the on the on the team we'll figure out interior exterior whatever edge rusher you know three technique i don't care he, he is a talented dude. A lot of teams wanted him and he's got technically four years to play. So this is, that's a plus. In he played mind. a little tight end in high school. I watched a little video of him catching passes and he scored touchdowns. Right. So put him he, out, uh, put him out. He, he's an athletic guy, but yeah, he he's, he's the type of player. They took another one at cornerback Dr- Drayden. Uh, I forget his last name. Norwood? Yeah. Norwood. Norwood. A similar type of a thing where it was like, Hey, let's bet on this talent because he, he might end up becoming something. This is even more of a sure thing than Norwood is like he I don't know if he can play corner or not. He was a quarterback in college, so it's just impossible to know. But he had the talent. He was super fast, super athletic. Let's find out if he can play the position. And this is more of a a, he's probably going to be a pretty good player. It just might take some time. So let's get him in there. Let him work with Al Davis. Let him work with our defensive line coaches. And we'll, we'll see what we've got a year or two down the road. Okay. Yeah. Now for the fun one. 
boy howdy tyrone hopper is fun that guy can flat out play and whether it be as a viking voyager where he is just blitzing his ass off through the center of the uh, the line or if he is going sideline to sideline and beating your offensive lineman to the spot or identifying screens and blowing your running backs ass up in the backfield he can do it all man this guy is really fun. He is the most athletic Missouri linebacker since probably Therese Hall, at least in terms of my, my immediate recall. And he plays kind of like Therese Hall. Like he's out there and he is ready to hit you. Um, his his cousin, Ty, Tyrone, correct, is fine. And he's going to be like Chris Turner. This guy is like a souped up version of Blaze Aldridge. What you thought Blaze Aldridge might be, Tyron Hopper is that, and he's already done it in the SEC. This kid can play, man. Like, he, honest to God, he might be your best player on the defensive side of the ball next year. He is really good. He, I didn't really think about it when he initially hit the portal and then um, when he committed. But, you know, Tyrone, I was like, okay, Tyrone Hopper, Tyron Hopper. I was like, Florida. I went back and look and watched the Florida game from this past year. I remember where I heard the name. He was the dude who had 13 tackles on his yeah. own against Missouri last year. Now only two were for loss, but like he was everywhere. He was everywhere. And he was the one that was putting pressure constantly uh, and forcing some really poor throws with, you know, I mean, every base left throw was a poor throw, but you know, that's neither here nor there. He was, he was aggressive and he was everywhere. Uh, so now, like, I remember kind of looking at his stats. I'm like, ah, he's he's kind of like just Blaze Aldridge again. But like you said, he was Blaze Aldridge in the SEC mm-hmm. last year. And he did it as a sophomore. Yeah. He was still really like, young. Kid. He was a 2019 yeah. recruit, man. This kid has, like, a decent amount of eligibility remaining. And I don't know that he's going to exhaust mm-hmm. it. I think he's an NFL player. One and one done or two undone? Probably two. Yeah. If he has a okay. great year, though, like the, the way that he plays is a modern NFL linebacker. And and that's why mm-hmm. I think he can be in and contributing and ready to go right away. Like you're going to have him and Chad Bailey on the field and you've got the perfect duo at linebacker. Chad Bailey's more of a like your classic kind of thumping inside linebacker for the modern game. He's not like 250 pounds or anything where you're going to yeah. like have him yeah. run his face into a fullback 20 times a game. Like that's not his role, but sure. he can play yeah. it the way that the, the modern game is played. You have him on one side, you'll have Hopper on the other, and Hopper's just going to be running sideline to sideline. He's going to be your typical blitzing linebacker as well, whether it be against the run or the pass. He he can do it all. I am super excited to see what the plans are that they have for Tyron Hopper. I mean, we saw what Nick Bolden could do to a defense just by himself. Mm-hmm. You know, his threat to do anything that you wanted him to do made those later Odom defenses just excellent. Absolutely excellent. So... Again, we're not saying I'm not saying he's a Bolton. I'm not saying he's anything. I'm saying he's Tyron Hopper. Uh, we're just going to figure out like you know the potential is there uh, for a lot of fun. It's also going to be really interesting. Uh, I've seen this bandied about a little bit. How they're going to do the the equipment managers are going to do the names on the back of the jersey because <laughs> you got Tyron and Tyrone. Um, 
you know, my thought was like, oh, maybe they'll do it a middle initial. And then like, we find out that they're both <laughs> middle name is like Earl or something like that. It's like, well, you can't do T E Hopper. So I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe one has an apostrophe, one doesn't, but like, I've... um, it's, it's a, it's a set and, and Hopper, the elder is only here for a year, but yeah, the, the, the younger Hopper is, is. Hey, Nate, curious. they were numbers. So I think we'll differentiate that way. <laughs> Remember when Brad Smith was BD Smith? Yeah. BD Smith and then Brian Smith was BN Smith. Like maybe they'll go I know that TN versus TE. That'd work. Yeah. I like it. Well, that was the transfer editions. We also got two more high school kids who signed uh on signing day. Uh Curtis uh Fiegler and then Carmica Glass. Now I know you did you did a deep dive on our newest offensive lineman. Do you want to start with him? And then yeah, I did both of them this week and you can read about them on rockmnation.com, the flagship. Um, I, I really like both of these additions, man. I mean, they are, I, I don't want to get people too excited because these are, they were available for a reason, right? They were like yep. signing day additions basically, but let's go based on that. If you were going to have two guys that were signing day additions, these are the kinds of players that you would like them to be. Peekler's listed at six foot five and 340 pounds, and his huddle highlights are titled, quote, pancakes for days. And it is aptly titled pancakes for days. (laughs) That is the correct way to describe what I witnessed for the four and a half minutes that I watched him just destroying defensive linemen. Now, that being said, I don't know where he fits into the mix because you are suddenly really deep along the offensive line. And I don't know if Piegler, he's listed as a tackle. I don't know if his future is going to be at tackle or guard because he he holds up better than you would expect in pass protection. Given his size, he's got pretty good feet. He almost kind of reminds me of like a tackle version of Trevor Sims or it's like, okay, this doesn't look like it should work. But it does repeatedly, and he just always seems to get the job done. That's kind of Curtis Piegler, but on the high school level. So I I don't know where he fits in positionally, but that's something they'll have to just kind of figure out over the next um, year or two. He also doesn't know who he reminded me of, actually, watching watching kind of like his high school and like early, early years. Larry Bourne. Yep, that's who I call Larry Bourne came in big big boy yep. and like they put him on the inside and like that really wasn't his he was good but it really wasn't his jam and then they bounced him on the outside and then you know, well now he's in the nfl i love that you so, said that because that was my comp yeah. for him that's awesome <laughs> he was six six, three 335 pounds when he arrived at mizzou in 2017 and larry borum ended up being a really good player like you said at tackle i think that's probably the best spot for curtis piegler long term but they have so many guys there man Hyron White, yeah. Javon Foster, Zeke Powell, Connor Wood, Connor Tolleson, Bobby uh, Lawrence, Valen Erickson, who they just added this year as well. And then you get to Curtis Piegler. It's just going to be a uphill climb for him. So I don't know if or when he will actually see the field for Mizzou. But this is the kind of bet that you make on signing day when you've got a scholarship available. Go get the dude that's really mean and really big and puts everybody on their back whenever they were uh, blocking them. And oh, by the way, he was in the... Uh, the whatever their all-star game is down in Alabama. And he apparently just totally dominated that thing. And this is going up against like the best players in the state. So he's done it against high level competition. I I don't think you're going to see him in the next couple of seasons, but keep his name in the back of your mind, because I do think he's somebody that we'll eventually hear from. Yeah, for sure. So 
anyway, I mean, it's, it's, I think it, anytime, anytime you look at an offensive line, especially at the SEC, you got to make sure that you have depth and we don't know the quality of the depth right now, but boy, howdy, do we have the depth? <laughs> like, I think it's 18 dudes right now. Yeah. And, you know, other than White and Foster, like, they all have multiple years to play. Remember the last, so they're not, remember 2019, I, was it, no, 2020. Yeah. When it was like, dude, are they going to have enough offensive linemen to play? They just, they were hemorrhaging offensive linemen, and now they have added to the point where it's like, oh, they've really leveled out the classes. All of them are yes. spread out. They have guys that can play with position versatility. It's like, oh, okay, this is all kind of working in a way that makes sense to me now suddenly. Yeah, it's it's the most perfectly balanced class, <laughs> position by class that you can possibly find. It's like 3-4, three, 3-4. Four, three, four. Um, so that's good. Um, so yeah, I mean, hey, we don't know what he's going to be. He doesn't have to be anything though. He can he can just get his feet under him, hit the gun club, put you know put the right weight on, get it get in a good spot uh, as far as operating college, and you know then he can compete. And if he gets to the top, even better. But there's certainly no pressure uh, for someone signing this late and certainly um, you know of his caliber. But there's like you said, you're you're betting you know you're buying low, and hopefully you can you can cash out when it's super high. What about this uh, Carmichael Glass guy? Because like. Another outside linebacker who might be an edge rusher is like, don't really need that. But like, this dude's kind of interesting. What did you think? Yeah. So remember how I mentioned Tyron Hopper is kind of like a really rangy, athletic, long linebacker. Well, just mm-hmm. apply all of that stuff, but to the high school version. And that's Carmichael Glass. <laughs> he is a really interesting player. And this seems to be, in my opinion, a trend. You know how we talked in the past about how like, hey, if you're not six one, you probably aren't playing corner at Mizzou. <laughs> It's kind of becoming that for Missouri with their linebackers as well. So you've got Hopper listed at 6'2", 225. Xavier Simmons, who was a freshman this year, also in the class, the other linebacker they took, 6'3", 215. And now you've got Glass, who's listed at 6'4", as a linebacker, and 210 pounds. So they're looking for long, rangy athletes at that position. All three they added this offseason fit that criteria. Now, Glass is a really interesting player because prior to the week of signing day, his offers were Houston Baptist, Lamar, McNeese State, and New Mexico. Not exactly a who's who of schools calling to be interested in him. But that doesn't really match up with the player that I watched. And it doesn't match up with the accolades that he received this year either. He was an all-state linebacker in the biggest classification of football in the state of Louisiana. And oh, by the way, he won defensive MVP honors in his district, which is a pretty darn good district. So I'm not sure why he went so under the radar. It's a little baffling to me. He's definitely slight. He needs to add a little bit more um, strength to his frame, but he is... A heck of a player, man. He makes a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, He's kind of similar, once again, to a Blaze Aldridge, where it's like, hey, this guy could kind of blitz, and he can go sideline to sideline. Like, he's more athletic than Aldridge, but he's in a similar vein to the way that he played. So I, I don't know when or if we will see him either. But again, another name to remember, and the type of guy that, like, I know this one comes to mind because it worked, but Charles Harris had all of the types of 
Um, he had all of the attributes that you'd be looking for in a late addition to a signing class. And then he ended up, you know, becoming a two time all SEC selection and then went in the first round of the NFL draft. I'm not saying glass <laughs> is going to be that, but sure, he sure. seems to have all of the criteria that you'd be looking for to be like, OK, this might work. And if it does, the upside for a player like this is much higher than it should be for somebody that you got the week of signing day. So, you know, when you look at someone who seems rated low, and I will agree, like glass pops, you know, we saw all the highlights. So we saw the good pop that there's obviously going to be some bad pop too, but like you notice him. And, and so you're like, well, what's, what's the disconnect? There's tends to be like three things that would lead to a player being underrated or kind of unknown. The first is, um, you know, you play in a really small, uh, small town or like a remote area. Um, you, you didn't play football until like, you know, your junior, maybe your senior year of high school. And then you didn't go to camps and number two tends to go with number three pretty well. You know, Monroe, Louisiana is basically Southern Arkansas. Uh, not the most populous place in the world. Obviously, you know, he played at the at the highest level in Louisiana, but all that Louisiana talent's in the South. Right? You think New Orleans, you're thinking Baton Rouge, that's where they all kind of live. Or kind of more towards the Texas side of the state. Monroe was very, very isolated. So there's a chance that just, you know, the college analyst didn't get out there. And he probably didn't do himself any favors by not going into camps. You know, if they can't see, if they can't evaluate you at those specific things then, you know, they're going to just watch your tape and kind of probably rate you a little lower, just be kind of based off of bias. Um, but yeah, I mean, his high school team was good. He really showed out on a really good team and he did it against good competition and a you know, pretty football, football talented state. Um, again, he doesn't have to do anything immediately, but uh, it's a very exciting addition. You know, Xavier Simmons and Carmichael class, like you said, a lot of similar plays, similar build. Um I'm excited for the linebacking future, and that's not something I could say at this time last year. Yeah, and the the other thing is, like, we just don't even know what to make of Zach Lovett or Damian Wilson. Th- those guys just really sure. didn't see the field last year, right? And those are two other players that could potentially be in the pipeline. So I think you know next year your starters are going to be Chad Bailey and Tyron Hopper. I think that's probably going to be the case as well for 2023. Th- those two guys are likely two-year starters for you. And then it's a question of, okay, who takes over for them afterwards? And right now, I think you're going to see something like Xavier Simmons and Carmichael Glass are fighting for that spot that Hopper currently is situated in. Yeah. And then Lovett and Wilson are the guys that could potentially take over for that Chad Bailey spot. And they could that could change based on who they recruit or the transfer portal or whatever next year. But. I think as it's currently situated, they seem to have like those two athletic guys could be behind Hopper and the two guys that are more thumpers, Lovett and Wilson, they could be behind Bailey. So it is starting to make sense a little bit more. You can see the plan that is starting to formulate here. They've got a type at corner. They want long, rangy, athletic guys there. They want safeties that can play deep or they can come down and hit you if they need them to. Uh, On the defensive line, they are looking for big dudes in the interior that can get disrupted disruption up front and on the edge they just want you to be able to fly off of the edge so they've got types at these at these um positions and i think that's good man that shows you what the plan is and that they're not just going out there and being like okay who's a four star that we could go out there and acquire (laughs) it it is like a certain type of player that they're looking for yeah i mean look at dj Weslag. 
Like they, they knew they wanted that guy. He didn't play much in the fall because of the legal trouble that he had. Uh, but they knew that that was the skill set they wanted for an edge rusher. Mm-hmm. And then Wes like literally got one shot um, at an All-American Bowl and tore it up and became a four-star again. So like, no, they're not chasing stars. They're chasing skills. And it just so happens that those skills tend to be very highly rated and they're talented players, but they do have a plan. For our questioning of Drinkwitz's ability to hire the guys to, you know, execute the plan he can certainly get the guys to, to to be on the field so um it's it's encouraging to see that and, and obviously you know you're, you're stacking the depth here we're in we're going into year three of you know on-field product which means we got two really highly highly rated classes that are in the books right now plus some you know holdovers from the last regime so you're starting to see the talent makeover kind of come to fruition and good news guys the 2022 Missouri Football Tiger recruiting class ranked 17th by rivals, 14th by the uh, 24/7 composite, and 11th by ESPN. So no matter who you subscribe to, this is the greatest high school recruiting class in the history of Missouri football during the rivals era. Um, so that's pretty awesome because we just had the greatest of all time. We followed it up with another of the greatest of all time, and then in addition. Missouri's transfer portal additions, which only at this time, I think 24-7 is the one that, that does it right now. But they rank that transfer uh, transfer portal crop as 13th best in the country. So no matter what you're looking at, if it's high mm. schools, if it's high schoolers or transfers or putting them all together, Missouri just put a lot of talent on this team. Now, so did everybody else in the SEC. Okay? This doesn't really mean much right now, but you're starting to see a talent increase from what we've seen in the past years and you stack a couple more classes like that. And all of a sudden we're recruiting in the middle of the pack, maybe top middle and you can execute this is, this is how you build a quality sec team. And I'm it's, it's very exciting to see. And I love the process. So I know I'm a weirdo, but like, dude, this is legitimately fun to watch. It takes some time, but this is a lot of fun. No, it definitely is. And as you mentioned, like, The tough part is looking at where it ranks in the SEC because you look at where Missouri's at, and this is going by the rivals rankings, right? The top three ranking rated teams in the country were all SEC. 13 teams from the conference ranked among the top 27. So half of the top 27 classes were Mm -hmm. from the SEC. Colorado had the third best recruiting class in the Pac-12. They would have had the worst recruiting class. Yes, worse than Vanderbilt in the SEC. <laughs> Miami, yeah. who had the fourth best recruiting class in the ACC, also would have been the worst in the SEC. So as much as Missouri, it was a great class and it, it genuinely was. They were right towards the middle of the pack in the SEC, which is awesome. Like Compared to where you typically would expect them to be. Wow. Huge round of applause for what Eli Drinkwitz did. Now you got to stack mm-hmm. them. Now you got to do it again. And that's what makes it hard in the SEC is awesome that you did it once. If you're not able to do it again and again and again, then you're going to be falling off. And that's how these other teams are able to get you because those teams are going to be top 20 every year. Can Missouri back it up with another top 20 class? And by the way, 80% of the roster now Eli Drinkwitz guys, guys that Eli Drinkwitz brought into the team, whether that be via um, the transfer portal or guys that he recruited to Missouri. So this is getting very close to truly being Eli Drinkwitz's vision for what the Missouri Tigers should be. It doesn't mean he needs to win a national championship this year, 
but we should start seeing oh. something resembling the identity of what an Eli Drinkwitz team is this year. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're going to see Luther Burden on the field. Okay. Ah, that, that sounds know good. We're see I, like, I like it when you talk Garcia. about that. I know. We're going to see Marquise Gracile on the field. Okay. So, like, I know that that's, that's a little bit different. But the guys that are going to start breaking into the rotation, it's Kyron Montgomery. It's Travian Ford. Dalen Carnell. Arden Walker, Tyler Hibbler. This is the last class, not the one we just got, the one before that. And really, the guys who are going to be toward the top of the of the of the depth chart, Brady Cook, uh, well, JJ Hester, obviously, but Chris Abrams Drain. Uh, maybe Drake Heismeyer figures in there. Jalen Carlis, who's already getting the starting spot. Enis Regstra. Those are the guys two classes ago who are going to be your starters. So like it's it's really easy to forget about some of these guys because you fall in love with the recruiting class and then you fall in love with the next one. But it does take some time for most of these guys to see the field. You'll see the depth chart kind of fill out with mostly Drinkwitz guys at this point. But um, yeah, recruiting wins don't necessarily equate uh, wins on the field immediately because it takes a couple of years to get them on there. Obviously, I mentioned a couple from this class that will be on there, but this is going to be a baby team, very young baby team. That means they're going to be hella inconsistent. But again, fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the recruiting, the development. Uh, that's that's fun. It's fun to me uh, to, to watch and see this team grow. And maybe in two years, we're looking back at maybe a 2019 team. But, you know, two years from now, maybe we're looking back at a 2013 team. And with the way they're stacking talent and, you know, hopefully they can still execute and call good plans and, and manage the team well. But like, yeah, the future is bright and I'm very excited. Hey, man, the future is bright. Missouri Tigers. That's what this podcast should be named. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> A little too late to rename the podcast, but you know what? We can make it the tagline. <laughs> make it the tagline. Uh, That's it. That's all I got. Any parting shots, BK? I don't think so, man. Um, any predictions on who the next Missouri Tigers defensive coordinator will be? Oh, all my money's on Blake Baker. Uh, but, you know, Drinkwitz has surprised us in the past. So I don't rule out an outside hire. But um, I think if you're if you're a betting type and you want to make some money, put it on Baker and then call it a day. If Please. I set the over-under, I'm with you. I think it'll be Blake Baker. Over-under on February 16th, it being announced. Over is Ooh, after, 16th. under is before then. So today's the ninth. So week one week from Wednesday. Okay. He's going to do it on Valentine's Day to show his love. <laughs> um, I'll take the under. What do you think? I think it's under as well. I think you might see an announcement. Like when people are listening to this, it wouldn't surprise me if he's already been announced. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. You really have to. You know, you need to have a coordinator in place when you're hitting the recruiting trail, just flat out. So. I'm with you on that. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, when you're listening to this, hello, future you. Tell us if we're right or not. I don't know. But I'll definitely take under the 16th. And we will we will find out shortly. And, yeah, I feel pretty good that next show we'll be talking about the, the defense coordinator hire and, and the possibilities for that and all the other stuff that's going to come with it. But uh, that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave us a comment. Rate us on iTunes. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. 
I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at Rock and Nation, and you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Well, I'm